6: Today's Thursday, May 28, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered as we speak. The FBI as a news conference in Minneapolis we will go to as soon as we come back regarding the murder of George Floyd. We'll talk to several of his friends as well. Only one cop killed Floyd, but three more stood around and watched it happen. Why won't cops stand up when one of their own does something wrong? We'll talk to a former police officer who studied police bias about that. The U.S. has more than 100,000 COVID-19 deaths, and those who contracted the virus still have a long way to go for recovery. We'll talk with Dr. Ebony Hilton about that. Remember that white Richard capitalist in Minneapolis who called the cops, well, on these three black men for exercising in the gym? He's been kicked out of the building. We'll give the details. Another crazy-ass white woman acts a fool all over hamburger. Martin. Really? It's time to bring the funk on roller Mark on the Filter. Let's go. FBI is holding a news conference as we speak in Minneapolis regarding the death of George Floyd. Let's go right to it.
7: Attorney's office are moving as quickly and thoroughly as possible. I've also been in direct consultations with Governor Tim Walls, with Attorney General Keith Ellison, um, and others in the state, the city, and the county through discussions on this case. As many of you know. The Hennepin County Attorney's Office is one of very few prosecution offices in the United States who have successfully charged and convicted and obtained a guilty verdict against a police officer for unreasonable use of deadly force. We have developed a detailed plan for that prosecution and with the BCA a detailed plan for investigation. Our office has been flooded with calls many as a thousand a day, as well as email and social media from people in this jurisdiction, in this state and throughout the country. The main question is, what are you gonna do about the murder of George Floyd? Well, I've just described what we're gonna do. We are going to investigate it as expeditiously, as thoroughly and completely as justice demands. Sometimes that takes a little time and we ask people to be patient. We have to do this right, and that's what we'll do. I also want to tell you that our office has led the nation in openness on these types of cases. When we decide to charge an officer, we put the criminal complaint on our website. If we decide that the evidence does not support a criminal charge, we put our report and all our evidence on the website for all to see. When we make the decision in this case, we will do the same. What I can assure the citizens of Minnesota, we will do it as quickly as we can do it as possible. We'll do it as quickly as
4: possible. Um, I think Drew Evans from the BCA is next, Drew. Thank you, County Attorney Freeman. My name is Drew Evans. I am the superintendent of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. First, I'd like to share with my colleagues here in expressing my deepest thoughts and sympathies to the family of George Floyd, the heartbreak that they're going through in the community as a whole. This is a difficult time for our entire community uh, as they mourn uh, his death. The Bureau of Criminal Apprehension uh, began this investigation immediately after this incident occurred when we were contacted by the the Minneapolis Police Department. Agents were deployed including our crime scene immediately began gathering evidence, talking to witnesses and then working uh, immediately with the county attorney's office discussing our findings and what we had at that time. Next, uh, over the night, as was indicated, the FBI was contacted. I spoke with Chief Arredondo. He informed me he was contacting them, and that was a contact we all welcome in this process. We're working very collaboratively together through this process. Our agents are working closely together. We've deployed numerous resources. We brought in agents from all over the state recognizing the importance of an expeditious, quick investigation that is still thorough independent and unbiased by all of our organizations. Those findings will be turned over to the county attorney on the state side and on the federal side as noted to the United States Attorney's Office. The same thing we share as the FBI did, we want any citizen, anybody who is there that witnessed this event, that has information that would be helpful to our investigation to either call the FBI tips line or 651-793-7000, which is the BCA Operations Center. My perspective is we want citizens to go wherever they are most comfortable, whichever line they are, so that we get all of the information in this case so we can conduct the most thorough investigation possible. And with that, I think uh, we'll turn it over to uh, the U.S. Attorney and County Attorney for questions.
2: And so, at this point, we're going to open it up for questions. Um, I can tell you, I'll start by saying we've got questions, too, and we're getting answers to those. We're doing our best. We're digging in. But we do, and I want to echo what my law enforcement partner said, we need the community's help. There were folks there on the scene, not folks that we couldn't identify necessarily at the time. We need to know who they are. Come forward. If you have a video, please share it. We want to do as quickly as we can a thorough investigation to get answers to those questions. And I know that I saw the first hand going up was in front of me, ma'am, you had a question? My hope is that getting it out through you, that the community will understand that we are taking this seriously, that we're working as quickly as possible, so the community understands. We don't, we don't announce investigations, typically. As you in the media knows, it's unusual for us to come forward and tell you about an investigation. As a United States attorney, we're counseled that we are not to talk about that until the time of the conviction, typically, or in some cases, perhaps charges. It was really it's really imperative that the community understands how seriously we're taking this and how quickly and swiftly we are moving on this and so my hope with that is is that people will understand peaceful protests are always acceptable that is the cornerstone of our justice system is that people have the right to say how they feel and to talk about their their feelings and to protest peacefully but the Obstruction and the destruction of property and harm to individuals has got to stop. We are one Minnesota. We're at our best when we're at our worst. And we've got to come together and stop the needless and unnecessary destruction of property and harm to human life. Sir, can, you, can I add you may.
7: Yes. This state is well known and has a strong reputation for firm and thorough First Amendment advocation. We support peaceful demonstrations. I had a long talk today with Reverend Jesse Jackson, who came at the request of Attorney General Keith Ellison and the governor, and I believe Reverend Jackson will be speaking and asking for peace- peaceful protests today. Peaceful protest is good. It advocates our rights and it also calls forth the witnesses that the United States Attorney wants us to come forward. Violence is not. Violence hampers our case. It takes valuable police resources away from our investigation, and it also harms innocent people who had nothing to do with that. It gets in the way of our work. So we're asking please, please, say what you need to say, demonstrate how you need to do. That is in our Constitution, and all of us believe in that. But please, don't destroy an innocent person's property who had nothing to do with it.
8: Seven minutes.
7: He is clearly struggling to breathe during that time. And I think people will be hard pressed to understand how you can bring charges at least
9: against the officer who had his knee on that man's neck.
7: It's a violation of my ethics to talk and evaluate evidence before we announce our charging decision. And I will not do that. I will say this. That that video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that. But my job in the end is to prove that he violated a criminal statute, and there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. We need to weigh through all of that evidence and to come through with a meaningful, meaningful determination, and we are doing that to the best of our ability.
4: To, to
2: say When it comes to the African-American community, you guys, and we're here, so a lot of us came down to
0: actually call for peace, when you guys are asking for them to be patient, they're saying that there was no patience when it came to George Floyd when he begged and pleaded for his life. What message would you give us to take back to the African-American community to bring peace and to ensure them
7: that justice is going to be served? I bring the same message that african-american attorney general of the state of minnesota keith ellison is bringing i'm bringing the same message of the reverend jesse jackson we have to do this right we have to prove it in a court of law and i will just point to you the comparison to what happened in billy in baltimore in the gray case it was a rush to charge it was a rush to justice and all of those people were found not guilty i will not rush to justice i'm going to do this right And those folks who know me in the African community know I will do my very level best. But I will not rush justice because justice cannot be rushed.
2: Thank you for that. It was um, wonderful to hear you say that you came down with other members of the community to ask for peace. And that is the most, that's probably the most positive thing I've heard here all day. So I cannot begin to thank you enough for that. And to the extent you can share that, and you can share the integrity and the honesty of what we're doing and trying to tell you what's going on, um, please do. Because we need you. We need the community. But it's really important that we emphasize that everybody, everybody in the United States is entitled to due process of law. And due process of law requires us as prosecutors, as law enforcement officers, to make sure that we've done a careful investigation. And it requires us, as I told you, I tried, as a judge, I presided over hundreds of cases, including first-degree murder cases. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that all your ducks are in a row before you make that charging decision. But you can't, you can't undo what you've done if you rush. But if you take that time, you're going to do it right the first time, and you're going to get it done the first time.
6: All right, folks, this is a news conference uh, live taking place in Minneapolis with FBI officials and the U.S. attorneys talking about what their process is. As you heard from people asking, wait a minute, you got a video showing uh, that George Floyd uh, was uh, suffocated, essentially, uh, by the cop. Why have they yet to be arrested? They were fired on Tuesday, but they are, have still not been arrested. Keep in mind, they can be arrested and charged with murder, and you can still continue the investigation and go to this, the DA's office. Now, folks, uh, many people have been speaking out, including folk, George Floyd's family as well as his friends. Joining us right now is Corey Paul, Reconcile, Nigelon, and PT. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on Roland Martin Unfiltered.
10: Thank you for
11: having
7: us, thank
6: brother. Uh, uh, first of all, um, George Floyd graduated from Jack Yates High School, uh, same uh, school that I graduated from in Houston uh, in Third Ward there. Uh, Corey, you've released several different videos talking about uh, how involved he was in the community and the issues he cared about.
10: Yeah. So when we came into third ward, um, uh, as community outreach as uh, trying to be a change in, in, in community and serve, we came as visitors, George, George is from third ward. He's third ward through and through. And he was already, um, uh, advocating, um, and supporting and giving love, uh, for, um, you know, in that community for change. So George welcomed us in, Floyd welcomed us in, and we couldn't have done anything that we did uh, through um, explicitly preaching the gospel and um, connecting with community. We couldn't have done it without Floyd. He was legitimately our person of peace.
6: All right, PT.
11: Yes, sir.
6: Talk about uh, uh, talk about Floyd. Talk about his impact uh, and
8: what he meant to use as a friend. Uh, so, man, we we met Floyd uh, two thousand ten. We were in Third Ward, we we're a church in Third Ward, trying to reach, um, and you know about this CUNY Homes, oh yeah, uh, housing projects specifically. And so, man, we we put. Put on this concert called Hope for the Trey. And we were trying to solicit people to come out. So we were literally in the neighborhood giving out flyers. And so uh, when the, the day of the event comes, him and another guy, we see them in the back. Man, Big, Big Floyd is like unmistakable. We see him. We like, yo, they came. We ran up to him, started talking to him. And just started to build a relationship from there. And so we've had a relationship with him for almost 10 years. And so he was literally our gateway, our big homie, our OG to get us into the neighborhood. Uh, You know, coming from neighborhoods like that, man, you understand you need a stamp to just you can't just throw a fence. You can't just do what you want to do. And so he literally opened up his opened up his home and gave us the opportunity man to recent people in the neighborhood um there's a story that uh reconcile would have would have shared with you if he was on but literally man we we threw we used to have church services uh fifth Sundays on the on the basketball court and so you know how that is we have to bring all our equipment out right? And so, man, he helped us to bring equipment out, helped us to baptize folk out there, and really connected us to people in the neighborhood we wouldn't have access to if it wasn't for him. And just to see his progression, um, he went to Minnesota to be discipled, was part of a church uh, work program, and was getting his certification to drive trucks, man. And so, you know, when when we hear this narrative, we're like, Man, none of that is, is true. That. Nobody leaves Third Ward Houston, Texas to go to Minnesota for <laughs> yeah. any other reason other than to change their life.
6: Man. Well, for, for folks who don't understand, uh, again, uh, y'all keep hearing the refer to Third Ward, Texas, and uh, in, that's in Houston. Uh, but yeah. the folks who are from Third Ward who went to school from Third Ward uh, see it as its whole other country, uh, a whole other city. <laughs> that's so that's true. why y'all hear that phrase, uh, Third Ward, Texas. Uh, again, that's where Jackie's high school is. Texas Southern University is University of Houston. They try to call it something else, but that's actually where it is. And so it really is the epicenter of black culture historically in the city of Houston. Um, how long was he? How long was he in Minneapolis?
11: He left and uh he went up there I believe early 2017.
6: And so um and, and was there obviously uh, for, uh, for for uh, for the last three years. Uh, the news conference with the FBI officials are still going on. Um, and obviously folks are talking about this here. And what what do the three of you want people to know about yep. him that? No matter what somebody folks are trying to do, try to, you know, uh, smear his name, what do you want them to know uh, that was most important about him?
11: Yeah, I think so. So one of the biggest things is, you know, Floyd was an advocate of change. Um, the reason why he ushered us in the way that he did was because he wanted to see his neighborhood change. He wanted to see uh, third ward radically yeah. change. He wanted to see CUNY homes radically change. Um, And you know how it is, Roland, Anytime you go into somebody's territory, you need to get a pass. Uh, You know, Floyd basically gave us an endorsement deal to where we can go in the middle of the housing projects and set up tables and chairs, um, you know. And so I I, I want people to know that he embraced us and brought us in because he wanted to see change in his neighborhood. One of the reasons why he left to go to Minnesota was because he wanted to see change in his life. Um, he understood that it wasn't too late for him to make the right decisions um, and to make a change. He's from Third Ward. You know, he's 46. I'm 26. And when I moved to Houston, you know, he put his arm around me. He embraced me. You know, um, he believed that God could change hearts. And he believes that God could change Third Ward. And he empowered us to do so.
10: Anyone else? Yep. Yeah, so I know for me... Um... I, I vividly remember meeting Floyd and so as PT was saying, we put on concerts, uh, myself, my brother Reconcile, si, um, we we were we rap. And so we would go through we you know, we were doing ministry in Third Ward. so you know, we wanted to um, you know, really be a part of the community. And so um I remember Floyd telling telling us like, Man, I love what y'all are doing. He said, if it's about God business, then it's about my business. So wherever you go, whatever you want to do, you know, you're good. You let them know that Floyd said you're good. And understanding, understanding what that meant was powerful. And so I don't, I don't think people understand truly. We talk about the change we want to see in communities. We talk about um, the, the need for leaders and advocates. What don't understand is they murdered uh, a, a, a leader of culture in that community. When Floyd said something, or uh, when Floyd communicated something, you can't replace that. You know, when you're from uh, the areas that we're from, it's not just because it's it's something that said. It's who said what. What is is going forward. And so Floyd had that had that um, the respect, and all of his respect was gained through the love and the sacrifice. So what they don't understand is the change that you that 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 you would hope to see he was the walking living example of that and everything that that he embodied um everything he embodied is what we should all be striving for when it comes to just genuine love and embracing people
8: go ahead yeah i i uh man it, luke chapter 10 this is how i look at floyd um, he says, man, for those of us who are going into these neighborhoods and trying to do community development, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. I, mm-hmm. Man, George Floyd was a son of peace that God sent. And, man, it's the tragedy is... People think that they've uh, merely crucified just another black man. But man, in the line of innocent sufferers all the way from Abel, all the way to Jesus Christ, man, he is an innocent sufferer whose blood, man, was shed. And I think God hears it. And I think God is gonna use this to redeem some people from these neighborhoods, man. And I just want people to understand, man, they just, it wasn't just anybody that was a son of peace from God.
6: Well, gentlemen, we certainly wanted you to have an opportunity to share your thoughts uh, with regards to George Floyd, uh, to share uh, a part of a story that other people may not be aware of, which is one of the reasons why we created this platform. Uh, and uh, he, of course, he did, uh, he was uh, uh, starting tight end on the football team there, uh, played in the state championship game against Temple in 1992. Uh, one of the folks with the Houston Chronicle reached out to me and told me that. And then it was, it was crazy because I was actually at that game uh, that took mm-hmm. place that took place uh, in Glein watching that game, uh, being a 1987 graduate of Jack Hayes High School. And so uh, we certainly thank uh, all three of you uh, for being with us and we'll be covering this story uh, to see where it goes. I, I will, last question, I will say this here. Uh, you heard the FBI folks talking and people have been talking about these protests. They've been complaining about what happened at the Target store there. You got people who are saying, oh, this is a shame. What would the three of you say to the people who are protesting, uh, uh, whether it's uh, the folks who are peacefully protesting or those uh, who have not? What would you say to the folks there protesting in Minneapolis? What would Floyd say to them?
11: Najee, Um. Uh, and I, I think he would, first off, say, man, I get it. I understand it. Uh, the people who are protesting, they're not protesting because um, one person was lynched um, in, the, in the middle of the street on camera. Um, you know, this has been going on for years and years and years. Um, and so I think in any protest, man, you, you usually have two types of people. You have people who um, are just looking for something to do, But then you also have people who are genuinely um, there, who are genuinely invested into it. And so I think Floyd would start off by saying, I understand. The same way that he put his arm around me and embraced me to fight for change in third war, he would put his hand around every protester and say, walk as far as you feel like you need to walk, but fight for change, strategize. uh, a walk in wisdom, um, you know, and so that's what that's what we'll continue to do. You know, you, you can burn down, you know, one police department station, tax, tax, taxpayer dollars are going to pay for that. They'll build another one. Build something, be a part of the change. If you want to be a radical, be a part of radical change, invest in yourself, invest in your community. And that's exactly what Floyd did.
6: All right, then. So I appreciate it. Gentlemen, thanks a lot.
10: Thank Thank you, you, Roland. Thank you for having us, King.
6: All right, folks. Thank you so very much, Uh, folks. uh, It has been uh, an emotional 48 hours all across the country. So many people have been responding in different ways. Uh, The mayor of uh, Minneapolis uh, said the death of Florida has left a lot of people shaking. Here's Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry.
12: What we've seen over the last two days and the emotion ridden conflict over last night is the result of so much built up anger and sadness. Anger and sadness that has been ingrained in our black community, not just because of five minutes of horror, but 400 years. If you're feeling that sadness and that anger, it's not only understandable, it's right. It's a reflection of the truth that our black community has lived. While not from lived experience, that sadness must also be understood by our non-black communities. To ignore it, to toss it out, would be to ignore the values we all claim to have.
6: Andrea Jenkins, who is the Minneapolis City Council Vice President, share her thoughts as well.
13: Um, As we stand here grieving um, yet another loss of of Black life, Um, a senseless, tragic loss of Black life, I, I, I really don't have many words, um, but I know that something's gotta change. And so I am asking my colleagues, the mayor and anyone else who is concerned about the state of affairs in our community to de- declare a state of emergency declaring racism as a public health issue. Until we name this virus, this disease that has infected America for the past 400 years, we will never ever resolve this issue. To those who say Bringing up racism is racist in and of itself, I say to you, if you don't call cancer what it is, you can never cure that disease. And so in an effort to try and cure this disease, I am stating exactly what everyone else has witnessed, and that is racism.
6: My panel today, Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies, Howard University, Eric, Erica Savage-Wilson, host of Savage Politics podcast, Reese Colbert, Black Women Views uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I want to first start off this way, folks. Uh, you've heard all of these different people, mainstream media, conservative folks, losing their minds, talking about what is taking place in Minneapolis, the protest, uh, fires, what happened, folks looting the target as well. But we wanna start this way by talking about what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said specifically about riots. Listen.
9: Is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the economic plight of the Negro poor has worsened. The mood of the Negro community now is one of urgency one of saying that we aren't going to wait that we've got to have our freedom
4: we've waited too long and i think the answer about how long it will take will depend on the federal government on the city halls of our various cities and on
13: white america to a large extent this is where we are at this point
8: and i think white america will determine where we're we going the- greg carr
6: riots are the language of the unheard
9: Yes, they are, brother, and I'm glad that you raised that. First of all, those of you who don't support Roland Martin Unfiltered, this is the time to do it right now because, trust me, mm-hmm. that's not going to be played on other uh, on white-facing commercial news entertainment media. Dr. King was, of course, speaking in that second part of the 1960s, remember what had happened in Watts in 1965. You go from 1965, you can draw a direct line to 1992 in the wake of the Rodney King Rebellion. This is why they're moving into action so quickly right now. They're terrified that this might be the point of conflagration. Dr. King is explaining why, after that Selma to Montgomery march, after the great James Meredith March Against Fear continued in Mississippi, and after, as we see by the the summer of 1965, the Voting Rights Act, Watts went up in flames. People are tired of the police beating up people, in this case, a woman and her son. And it led to millions of dollars of property destruction and the loss of black life. Dr. King is speaking to that. But Malcolm X, who had been assassinated in February of that year, had been saying the same things in the previous years, 1963 and 1964. He said every summer is going to get hotter. Then Dr. King is killed after insurrections in 1966 and 67 in Detroit. 68, Dr. King is killed. and, And then you see 100 cities go up in flames. What we're seeing today is desperation by the state. Police, uh, police chief had a press conference in Detroit today with the NAACP president chapter there with him. They are terrified now. Why? Because every time something like this happens, we get closer to the moment when we've said we're not talking to y'all anymore. Burn it down. And that is what we're seeing now. And that's not what that's what's not going to be covered on these white facing media places. They're going to try to turn the attention to the destruction of property as if somehow you can equate that with the killing of black people in the streets with impunity.
6: But here's the reality. Here's the reality, Erica. Everything that Greg laid out, and if you understand the history of this country, you cannot show me black progress in the history of this country that did not come
14: without black blood being shed. Absolutely, Roland. There is a price to be paid for what we consider to be liberties. And on what Dr. Carr was saying, those two pieces, um, if people have not joined the Bring the Funk fan club, if they have not made a contribution, they need to look down at that Facebook YouTube link, activate that now. And then secondly, in talking about the woman and son, I was looking over Ida B. Wells, looking at the red record. And that's something that people have not uh, read uh, or looked at the red record back in 1895, which talks about lynchings. We all need to uh, make sure that we get a copy and we're doing that now. And I'm thinking about um, May 24th, 1911, where you had Laura and LD Nelson, mother and son, who were both lynched. Um, Here we are 99 years later um, talking about um, lynching steel. And so we've reached an inflection point. And folks have got to make a decision. Do you want to be comfortable or do you absolutely want to be free? And as you just mentioned, when we come to prices that need to be paid, when we think about those three big pieces of legislation that you alluded to that happened during the 60s, when we're talking about the Voting Rights Act, when we're thinking about um, housing, all of those pieces of legislation that came out of the 60s, that came out of blood, that came out of women, children, and men putting life and limb on the line so that we would have the opportunity to have this conversation that we're having today.
6: Um, Reese, what people also don't understand is that uh, President Lyndon Johnson commissioned the Kerner Commission in response to those race riots that took place in 1967. Dr. King's book, chaos or community, whether we go from here, was also born out of that. One of the things uh, that they said, one of the things that was said uh, in that particular report, first of all, they did not agree on many things, but one of the things that they did agree on was what uh, they said, well, that there are two Americas, one white and one black. And the report showed that how we see these things in a vastly different way, how we uh, look at the issues in a vastly different way. They also talked about how mainstream media was part of the problem because of how mainstream media looked at these various issues, and it was really through the through the lens of whiteness. Last night, here's Tucker Carlson on Fox News talking about what happened in Minneapolis. So
7: that's what rioting looks like. It happened last night, and as you can see, it's happening right now. We want to be clear, we're not showing you these pictures to defend the behavior of individuals on the Minneapolis Police Department, we're not. We're defending society itself. Riding is the one thing you don't want. Ugly opinions, police brutality, officious bird watchers, rude entitled ladies walking their dogs in big city parks, all of that is bad. But none of it is nearly as bad as what you just saw. The indiscriminate use of violence by mobs is a threat to every American of all colors and backgrounds and political beliefs. Democracy cannot exist when people are rioting. Rioting is a form of tyranny. The strong and the violent oppress the weak and the unarmed. It is oppression. So that's what...
6: See, see, Reese. this is what folks who hold white supremacy views like Tucker Carlson refuse to acknowledge. It's what Dr. King talked about. They love to talk about rioting and looting, but they don't want to deal with what led to the riding or looting. Let's go back to Sunday. You did not have people in Minneapolis protesting on Sunday. Monday was when the cop decides to put his knee and his full weight of his body on the neck of George Floyd and took the breath out of his body and killed him. You don't have the protest without the actions of the cops. The cops still have yet to be arrested. So then you have last night. I am not saying yay to last night. What I am saying is you can't speak on the rioting, the looting, the burning of cars unless you deal with what precipitated that response.
0: Exactly, I mean, people never wanna talk about what's antagonizing black people, the lack of justice that we get over and over again. I personally don't give a damn about people rioting. This whole notion of respectability and, oh, you know, if you if you riot, you're gonna give the white folks something to, to latch upon, or you're gonna discredit the cause, or you're going to hurt the cause white people are not killing black people, harassing them, targeting them because of respectability. They're doing that because they're racist and they feel empowered to oversee, as I said in a prior episode, what black people are doing. They feel empowered to brutalize, to be violent, to terrorize black people in black communities because they know that they can do or they perceive that they can do it without any kind of repercussions. Like you said, Roland, we're not saying rah, rah, go out there and loot and do all these other kinds of things. I don't even really like to use the word looting, to be clear. Looting is when the Treasury goes and infuses $1.3 trillion, $2 trillion, $3 trillion of our taxpayer monies to prop up these corporations because their stock value is going, not what is happening at Target. People are understandably uh, upset, and there's no amount of respectability. There's no amount of look. We're all up here singing "Kumbaya." That's going to bring George Floyd back. That's going to stop the next killing from happening. And so, I completely empathize and understand why people are enraged and why, when they are being antagonized by tear gas, by brood, by uh, by by cops saying all kinds of crazy things to why the situation escalates. So, let's talk ab- about that part.
6: Greg, black people, and this is the thing that white folks like Tucker need to understand. And white folks like Charlie Kirk, and uh, and Tammy, whatever the hell that girl name is, Laren, Lauren, whatever the hell, and even ignorant black people like Candace Owens refuse to understand. I ain't never met a single black person who wants to take time away from other stuff to go protest. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know anybody black who would say, you know what? I think I want to bypass spending some time with my family and friends. I, I want to bypass going to the park and relaxing. I want to bypass, um, uh, going to the movies. Cause then I want to go out and protest a black man being killed. I, 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 I've never met somebody who, who that's their life mission. What they don't want to accept is that the only way, the only way you have seen this nation confront its bigotry, confront its racism, confront its hatred is when black folks burn shit down. Now, let me be real clear to everybody who's listening to me. Roland is not advocating saying, go torch the country. What I am is laying out what is undeniable. If you read Nicholas Kotz, rest in peace, he died just a couple of weeks ago. His book on LBJ and MLK. <laughs> S- members of Congress did not want to move on black people voting until Bloody Sunday happened. It took the images of black people being brutalized by cops in Alabama on the Edmund Pettus Bridge when they said, oh my God, we gotta do something. It took a bombing in Birmingham at a church for four little girls who were killed. It took Medgar Evers being assassinated. Well, let me remind y'all, the United States Congress filibustered the Fair Housing Act in 1966. Senator Edward Brooke, Black Republican, broke the uh, broke it in the Senate, but it was still in the House. King gets murdered on April 4th. On April 5th. President Lyndon Johnson sends a letter to the House saying, let's honor the life and legacy of Dr. King by passing the bill he gave his life for. It was signed into law nine days later. I can go through this, through American history, and show you black blood being spilled, riots, stuff burning, America responding.
9: That's American history, Greg. You're exactly right. You just laid it out, uh, Roland. And I'm glad that you did that in case you all missed it very quickly in 10 seconds. The Voting Rights Act is in the washed in the blood of Selma. The the Fair Housing Act is washed in the blood of Martin King. And the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is washed in the blood of those four little girls and two black boys who were killed in Birmingham in 1963. And that Birmingham bombing took place a month after the March on Washington. So you're absolutely right, Roland. It's very important to understand that, as you said, no, No one moves in this country until they are threatened with the end of this country. Being black in America won't get you killed. Being black for America will get you killed because America is a settler state and it not only depended on the essential personnel of the 18th and 19th centuries, that would be us, the enslaved Africans. It has depended on controlling black bodies ever since. Now, the interesting thing is, and I've got some very close friends uh, and former students who live in Minneapolis-St. Paul, they're, they're texting me now telling me that not only, of course, we know the National Guard has been called out in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and, we, we, and you had the mayor of St. Paul, Melvin Carter, the young brother out of FAMU, on the show here, Roland. They now are surrounding the Target in St. Paul. They've closed down uh, the rail in Minneapolis-St. Paul. They are terrified because the population that is out in the street is not predominantly black. This leads us to the real problem now facing these folks. Those of our friends and colleagues who do white-facing work, who are telling white folks, you need to organize your communities and do something about this. They've hit a resonant chord in Minnesota right now. If you look at the footage, when you have all those police officers surrounding this killer's house last night, it is mostly white people out there in the street, along with black people, with Hmong, with the Somalis in in Minnesota. There's a multiracial coalition. I thought these four cops were fired, which I believe parenthetically is also a way for the city not to get sued if they can figure out how to separate the police from them immediately. What you have is you got fired cops and you got the lead one, one, by the way, who there was an opportunity to prosecute him a couple of times for about dozen violations he's had. And guess who the Hennepin County attorney was at the time? Amy Klobuchar. We could talk about that another time. But those police are surrounding their brother in arms house last night. But most of those people were not black. That is the terrifying thing facing this country right now. As this settler state dissolves because California ain't Iowa, and neither are Mother Dakotas, and it ain't New York, the multiracial coalition that will be in the street will not only be black people. And that is where they've now done the calculus and said, we better throw these few sacrificial open races to the crowd, because if we don't, we might see the end of this thing, and it ain't going to be just because black people were in the street.
6: And Erica, the thing that what what we're talking about here and laying out, let me be clear. You are not going to hear that articulated on CNN, Mm -hmm. on MSNBC, on Fox, on ABC, NBC, CBS. They are not, they don't, they're not going to want to deal. See, the reason I'm linking that, because I'm linking that to the race riot in 67 and the Kerner commission report, because the influx of black journalists, the first wave came in after the 68 Kerner commission report. Part of this deal, Erica, is that American media is still in many ways the same as it was in 1967 because they don't want to deal with the reality of what it means to be black because even with what they do, they want to somehow not really deal with the hardcore stuff. White folks like Tucker Carlson want to complain about riots, but they don't want to play that king bite and deal with economics. They love trying to throw out how many people were killed in Chicago last weekend, but they don't want to deal with the poverty in Chicago. They don't want to talk about the fact that 60% of the children in Chicago haven't even logged on to virtual learning during this pandemic. Why? Because they don't have internet. They don't have laptops. They don't have desktops. They don't have iPads. Now we get to a whole issue of economics in this country. They don't want to confront what is real about America and
14: its history when it comes to black people. Absolutely, Roland. And let's be clear, they are lazy and mediocre. When I looked at the piece by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I'm glad you used that term, distill, because it's amazing to me that many of these publications are begging—do you hear me?—begging for people to um, subscribe to their particular publication so that they won't be obsolete, like many other publications have. But then you have the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who should be covering— this whole George Floyd lynching, but then use it as an opportunity to talk about George Floyd in 2007, George Floyd in 2011. Where if we're going to talk about 2007, you're going to have to talk about Amy Klobuchar because, as Dr. Greg Carr just pointed out, uh, Amy Klobuchar was the prosecutor, the chief prosecutor, to be exact, um, during from 1997 to 2007, and she ran on a platform that she successfully... Uh, Um, one on, which talked about um, making sure that people who committed crimes were p- uh, punished and that they were punished severely. This same officer, the lead officer, the officer that did the lynching, uh, Derek Chavon, I think his badge number is 1087, if I'm not correct, if I'm um, correct. But we look at—he had 10 infractions, and of those 10 infractions, those civilian-reported complaints, we look at 7 of the 10 were closed without any further input, without any further history by his officers-in-law. And then we look at the other three, those were oral reprimands were given, and these were by civilian review boards. So when as you continue to connect the dots, we also have to talk about what you're talking about, which is largely all politics is local. Who is on those damn citizen boards? And how is it that we are not engaging in a way that says, hold up, you have got to be accountable too. So as we look at media, um, and then if we look at as an, an extension of media, different actors, we have to um, make ways inroads so that we could also be engaged to really flip around some of the things that we're seeing. And that's people who are in elected positions, people who run media organizations, making sure that we support media organizations that do reflect and look like us and have and carry these types of conversations, but then also publications that do the same thing as well.
6: And that, what, what jumps out at me, Reese, here again is Media is sitting here going, oh my goodness, what's going on? Had you dealt with the thug cop the previous 10 times, mm-hmm. Monday doesn't happen. Amen. Right. Ha- See, everybody forget the same city. Last year, the mayor, Reese, said, get rid of this warrior training. Mm-hmm. The police union said, Fine, we're gonna do our own warrior training. See. If we're gonna start talking about how do you deal with police attitudes and behavior, you can't talk about what happened on Monday. You got to talk about what happened the previous six months and year and two years and five years. And see, mainstream media ain't trying to show up for that because see, for them, it's the spectacle of the video and the aftermath as opposed to all the other stuff that needs to be covered in between.
0: Absolutely, I mean, that's exactly right. That's what it is to them, it's a spectacle. And it's also interesting that the media feels perfectly comfortable putting on display our pain, our trauma, when you have people that are breaking down in tears and people who are distraught. And, and and sobbing at just this almost helpless despair that they feel about this constant drumbeat we have of Black people being murdered by the police or even by, you know, vigilantes, uh, slave patrols, however you want to characterize it. But then when it comes to broadcasting our anger, then all of a sudden it's not quite so fun. Now you have to put the spin on it that Tucker Carlson put on it. But absolutely, I also think it's interesting, since you all brought up Amy Klobuchar, you know, it's really interesting to see how people go from justice for George Floyd and we need accountability and there are systemic issues. But then when it comes to something that is um, not—is a stain on her record in terms of declining to prosecute, over two dozen cases in which Cops killed people. I mean, in one year, cops killed three black people. 2002, cops killed three black people on her watch, and she punted to these grand juries. We have to also talk about these grand juries, not just these police officers, but the culture that it's okay in this country to kill people if you are a cop, particularly killing black people. And so people did not like the fact that that is being brought up right now. But yes, but but, but before her angle came in, you all were about accountability. Well, if you're gonna have accountability, let's talk about the obvious cultural problem that there is in that city with the DA's office and with the, police, with the police department that says that it's okay to kill people dozens of times and nothing happens.
6: And, and, and I want people to understand, because some of y'all might be saying, Roland, why, 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 why you keep bringing up, bringing up media? Because what did Reese just say? And Erica and Greg say? Oh, y'all could turn on TV right now. And take your time. Y'all going to see black people all over MSNBC <laughs> and black people all over CNN. You might see a lot more black people on Fox News. I mean, they all... But do you see that same thing next week? Mama. When the story <laughs> dissipates? See, I, I'm trying to tell y'all. See, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly they can find us on stories like this but they couldn't find us on coronavirus. Mm. We found us. Wasn't that hard? Wasn't that hard? Sam Weiss uh, with uh, NFL Network was complaining about how is it that, why, why he doesn't see HBCU experts mm. on these networks talking about these sort of situations. And, and I tweeted him. I said, because these networks only want to hear from black folks who are at the Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if you black from Princeton mm-hmm. and Yale and Columbia and Harvard, all of a sudden they could talk to you, but they ain't gonna call Greg. Mm-hmm. They're they, they, they not gonna call uh, somebody uh, who is from uh, Morehouse or Spellman or Dillard. They're not gonna call anybody from other places. Now, th- these are folks who've studied these things, who speak on these things. But again, I need people to understand what this infrastructure does. It Mm -hmm. is, you got to go back to the 68 Colonel Commission report. Y'all, this thing is all linked together. Mm -hmm. Whenever these sort of situations happen, they want to deal with that much of the issue. Whereas for Mm -hmm. us, we looking at all of this. See, they don't want to deal with the economic piece, the education piece. They always want to go to, well, maybe it's training. I, I, I got into it because with Greg Gutfield of Fox News because uh, Media Matters had posted this link where he said, uh, this discussion, let's just take race out of this for a second. And I was like, that's stuck on stupid because you can't remove race out of this because race is at the center of this. he Mm -hmm. And he responds, oh, you're ignorant. You didn't listen to my whole comment. I'm like, I don't need to listen to your whole comment because the moment a white man says, can we remove race from this, then we can stop having a conversation (laughs) because you can't remove race from this. Let me remind y'all, and I'm gonna try to find it. I think it was Virginia. There was a white cop who had a white boy by the neck. He was fired the next day. I know some of y'all might say, but Roland, these cops were fired. Yeah, but Floyd was killed. Right. Yeah. See, it took Floyd being killed, murdered on tape for them to say, yeah,
9: you got to go. I'm going to find a photo. Greg, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, you remember uh, about two years ago, there was an Australian national, Justine Damon, who was uh-huh. killed in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the cop that killed her, Mohammed Noor, mm-hmm. was convicted a year ago this month. He was the first police officer, Somali, first police officer in the history of Minnesota, Minneapolis police force to ever be convicted of murder. And he got put in jail. And then they paid uh, Damon's De- family $20 million dollars. Now, uh, I don't remember the Minneapolis police force surrounding his house. I don't remember any of this going on. Swift justice. And in the wake very of that, serious. Arundando, the, the, the uh, Minneapolis police chief who acted so quickly after he stayed up all night Monday night, that's when he became the police chief. This is very important. I'm not advocating that anyone burn anything down. I'm not advocating That anyone not burn anything down. What I'm advocating is that instead of pleading for our lives, we take action, whatever form that action takes. And if that action is collective action, that's when we get results. Now, as far as the white facing media uh, goes, you know what uh, I respect uh, Fox and I respect Tucker Carlson. You know why? Because he understands his little illusion is evaporating before his little eyes. He's, he's, he's fighting desperately for his way of life that is already dead. And his uh, death rattle are these little peeps. Now, Candace Owens, whose name I don't even repeat, I'm mentioning her now because uh, unlike the rest of us, Roland, you have to wage war with them because you are out there on this platform battling for us, as you say, till hell freezes over, then you're going to fight on the ice. But Candace Owens, of course, is a mercenary. She will say anything that will enable her checks to keep coming. And finally, when we see, and I got a lot of friends at those Ivy League schools who are right now on these white-facing platforms doing their best, and God bless them, to translate black rage for white audiences. I respect Mm -hmm. that. I've made the choice not to do that. I've been on MSNBC, CNN, you name it, the broadcast media. I had a dust up with Brian Williams that went viral when MSNBC came to have a dialogue on race at Howard and had nobody from any black college on the stage. And at that point, they gave me the microphone and the thing went down in history because I was like, do you understand that this is the problem? The point is this. Mm -hmm. White-facing commercial news entertainment media is a thing of the past. As we heard our sister Erica say, they are dying. They are clamoring for readership. But guess what? It ain't never coming back. Put five on Rolling Martin Unfiltered, support black news media, and turn away from explaining your humanity, and let's live hmm. in the world as freaks and watch this mm-hmm. thing collapse.
6: Folks, there were, four, there were four cops involved in the death of George Floyd. Uh, Derek Chauvin, Thomas Lane... 2000 Thao and J. Alexander uh, King, even though Chauvin was the one who killed Floyd. The other three stood mm-hmm. there watching him do it and did not. Now, uh, to talk about this, this bias is Dr. DeLacy Davis, a former police officer who recently completed his doctoral degree, looking at the factors related to police officers shooting unarmed black men. Doc, glad to have you on the show. Uh, it, wh- the thing here is that when we see that video, he's on his neck. The cop is standing nearby. He's focused on on the audience telling them to back up as if he's oblivious to the pleas of George Floyd. As if he's and he, he he didn't even bother to turn around to say, "Hey man, he, he's in distress." He he just like,
9: "We good?" Yeah, Roland, you saw what I saw and you you and I've had this talk several times and that is that um In the police department, you know who the crazy police officers are. You know who the racist police officers are. You know who the brutal police officers are. So I'm sure the officer with his back to the incident heard all the things that we heard, and we heard Mr. Floyd crying out and pleading for his life. Unfortunately for them, there's a policy in their own agency that is the duty to intervene, which says that a sworn officer has an obligation to protect the public and other employees, and they had even more of a duty when a sworn officer is using force that should not be used or sh- should have not been used. They had an obligation affirmatively to stop it and they failed to do that.
6: Uh, and, and, and that's, and we see these things, uh, I remember the video we showed in LA where this cop was beating this homeless man and the other cop just sort of stood there and he, tra- he sort of moved and then he just sort of just stood back. At no time did he even, st- look, man, stop. I mean, it, it is as if
9: it's like, you know what? Hey, let me know when you're done beat the hell out of them. Yeah, well, you, you know, you also, you, you have to remember that it's a decision that an officer has to make. And, and I, I did an interview earlier today, and someone says, well, DeLacy, isn't there a risk? I said, there is a risk. And so there's a risk if you say nothing, and there should be a price for you to pay in your own community for, for saying nothing. And there's a risk when you do something. I testified against police officers while on the police force because the force that was being used was inappropriate and unacceptable. And it didn't matter to me that these were black police officers. They were wrong and I intervened. I am a black man first and foremost before I'm a police officer. And they have failed. I think, you know, I I said earlier that these officers should be punished even more severely. Because they watched it, they did nothing, and they had an obligation to do something. It's, as I've said, the organizational culture of law enforcement, it's white male-dominated, racist, sexist, homophobic, and then you might find a good cop. And my challenge to my colleagues, even today, is for those who claim to be good cops to stand up, to speak up, and to take an action.
6: But what you just said when you testified, let's just be honest. When the cop testified in Baltimore, they left a rat on his car. Not only that, in another case, Absolutely. in another case, all right, there was a cop who was ambushed and killed in Baltimore. The people who did it haven't been found. Allegedly, he was going to testify the next day before a federal grand jury investigating other cops. Now, I, I, I can't remember. Maybe you can help me. I can't remember the last time a cop was gunned down and nobody been arrested.
9: The the reality is that law enforcement has operated with impunity. And again, in these corrupt agencies where we have corrupt behavior, police officers know. I mean, Serpico was the movie that came out in the 70s yep. in New York City. And so we Serpico is real. There is a blue code of silence, there is a wall of silence, and there is a price to be paid. And I understand that very clearly, I understand it. It still doesn't negate the responsibility that we take when we take the oath to protect and serve the people and not the police. You have to make a decision. You have to decide. If you pick this profession, and we do, the profession doesn't come and pick you, if you choose this position, then you must do go the full length of what the job requires of you at all costs
6: we got some questions for our panel. Let's first start with Recy. Um,
0: Yeah, my question is, um, what do you think can be done in terms of these civilian boards? Because that's where we're really seeing a lack of accountability as well.
9: Well, I, I you know, I'm, I'm 50-50, first of all, on, on civilian review boards, only because I don't think that they're necessarily effective, especially if they don't have subpoena power, if they're not appropriately funded, and they don't have the resources to, to investigate. So where we can get involved, I think we should be on these boards. We should be a part of these processes. Um, I worked for many years with Emma Jones in New Haven, Connecticut, where her son Malik Jones was gunned down in 98 by a police officer. And we just last year were able to get a civilian review board with subpoena power, with funding, with investigators, and precluding police officers from participating on those boards. So, yes, I think we should be fully engaged in utilizing all the tools available to us to prosecute violent and terroristic. Erica. Yeah, thank you, doctor. Um, So
14: my question for you is around community policing. Um, As we see more incidents in neighborhoods just begin to rapidly gentrify, how can we assure that in the event that uh, someone who, in law enforcement, does need to come out um, to respond to a call from a grocer or needs to um, respond to a call um, from someone's home, that that particular law enforcement person is um, has already had some level of engagement with the community, has a relationship.
9: So, so I think there are a variety of things we should do, and certainly that was one of my areas of expertise. Um, we have to make sure that we're engaging the process um, in a meaningful way. And what I mean by that is I don't think that we should have to worry about controlling the police if we control the people who control the police. They're an arm of the government. They absolutely are. This is the reason why you see them firing these officers quickly, I agree with Roland, because they want to sever liability. But at the end of the day, we want the police officers in our community to come into the community before we have an incident. We want to have a relationship. We want to know who you are. Um, I've said to officers in my own community, I don't even know you. I haven't seen you. I've been here 50 years. Who are you? So why don't we have a meet and greet? Why aren't you? When I worked in East Orange, New Jersey, one of the things that I did in community policing was I would rather, because my officers were not making arrests, because we weren't bringing guns and drugs off the street, how do I evaluate the effectiveness of a police officer? I evaluate them by them being able to tell me, who are the informal leaders in the community where you're working? Who is the leader? Who is the grandma? Where are the food. Who do we talk to? Who has the power in that community? And how do we resolve problems when we have conflict? That is how we evaluate it around community policing, not making arrests. I adopted with my mother, by the grace of God, four children while a single police officer on the police force. Because these were young people that I met in the course of my duty and my colleagues did the same because we were embedded in our community. So when we went in, we weren't going in busting heads. We weren't putting our knees on people's necks. I knew if I was talking to someone from the community, I didn't have to shoot him because I knew who he was, where he lived, and I could talk to him later. They've got to fully engage our community and we have to demand that from those folks who come and ask for our vote and who we give our dollars to in our community. We must demand how we're going to be policed, and we must be a part of that process. Greg? Thank you, Roland. Dr. Davis, good to see you again, brother. Good Um, to see you, brother. And I want to follow in line of what our our sister has just uh, laid out. Um, And that relates to the question of community policing, but also a very specific question as it relates to police union. What you just described is really uh, an alternative to the way policing is uh, created systemically in this country. We know policing comes out of enslavement, the policing of black bodies, and I'm a person who believes in abolishing those systems of policing and creating the kind of alternatives that you've begun to describe. Now, the question revolves around what we've heard Roland talk about on this show a lot of times, the police union. We know that um, Bob Crow, the head of the police union in Minneapolis, was saying that Derek Chauvin was not the guy at the Trump rally. He knows because that guy was Mike Gallagher, the president of the police union in Bloomington, Minnesota. The police for Trump are in charge of the police union in Minneapolis. Hmm. Brother, how do those kind of officers like you, like those black and brown young women and men, join the police force with the idea of creating an alternative in our community to the policing system, which must be abolished? How do we take over, how do you take over the police union? which is where you oh, so- see the deepest concentration <laughs> of these Klan members. How do we dismantle the police union? President? So I think there's a variety of ways. First of all, the police unions, we have to sue them and hold them accountable. We also have to sue police officers in there, not only in their official capacity, but individually, because when they start paying personally, that's right, comes out of their that's control, right. Then their behavior will change. See, we're not holding them accountable effectively. You know, it's all The attorney at war in New York used to say very often black people are knocking at the wrong door. So we need to sue them personally. We need to sue their union and tie them up from that perspective, because the resources exist in our community. Then, one example that I have is Rochelle Bilal, who was the president of the Black Police Officers Association in Philly, the Guardian Civic League. And she decided to run against the black male sheriff, who had all sorts of issues going on there because she wanted to make change for the community. One, to make sure that black homes stayed in the hands of black people. And so she ran against the machine, a three time incumbent, beat him by 20,000 votes. And now she's the first black female, black female at all, elected sheriff in 186 years in Philadelphia. I'm a part of that transition team with Dr. Tyrone Powers and others. So we're beginning to try to build power bases around the country and in some of these communities where we can take control. She's got 400 officers working there. And so we can shape it. She's putting women in positions of power where there were always men. And women of color are getting opportunities to lead and to make a difference and to lead with compassion. And so. All of this has to happen in and around the community, and we have to be engaged. We also have to bring young people through the process. The young people that I brought into the police force, I've now retired, obviously, but they now have rank. Most recently, a young lady that's in my old job in community services is a lieutenant now. I've guided her the entire career. She lives in community. She's committed to the community, and her children are in the community. So we have to work at all these different levels where we are to Mm -hmm. make change for our community and be committed to it 100%. It's not a walk in the park. It's not a protest. It's a way of living. Mm
6: -hmm. And and then, of course, you have folks like Dave Hollenbeck, uh, who is a wrestling coach, uh, who, go to my iPad, please, uh, posted this video on his Facebook page. Hey, he's from Washington state, not dead yet. I'm doing this um, for our police officers. The media is a race baiting machine and I'm tired of it. I'm going to speak out every time. If you don't like that, I'm sorry, but I love all people wake up America. And of course he was interviewed uh, the the Bethel school district is investigating this. Uh, He's a first year wrestling coach. He goes, I'm not a racist man. I don't have that in me. My children don't have that in them. I didn't instill that in them. I'm sorry that I offended anybody. That was not my point. I was trying to show something. He said he was defending the, the police officer's technique used to pin down Floyd. Well, first of all, anybody with a brain watching, uh, Doc, is in his little photo, the, 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 the uh, knee is on the left shoulder, not the neck. Mm-hmm. If that man in that photo put his full weight on Hollenbeck's neck for 10 straight minutes, his ass ain't doing interviews today.
9: That's right. That's right. There's a carotid artery there. It shuts off the oxygen to your brain. It kills you. There's no technique taught in the police academy to put a knee on the neck. It is not a compliance technique. In fact, again, me looking through their policies today and preparing for this interview, they say when there's arrest, you're only using force to gain compliance, where you had compliance. Therefore, the force should have been stopped. And if you didn't stop it, the officers standing there had an obligation to intervene and attempt to stop you, which they did not.
6: Last one for you. Are you surprised with this statement from the Fraternal Order Police President Patrick Yose? Our thoughts and prayers today are with the friends and family of Mr. George Floyd. Go to my iPad. Whose tragic death this week shocked and horrified our nation. Law enforcement officers are empowered to use force when apprehending suspects, and they are rigorously trained to do so in order to have the safest possible outcome for all parties. Based on the bystanders video from this incident, We witnessed a man in distress pleading for help. The fact that he was a suspect in custody is immaterial. Police officers should at all times render aid to those who need it. Police officers need to treat all of our citizens with respect and understanding and should be held to the very highest standards for their conduct. The FOP has full confidence in our criminal justice system. Uh, That is surprising. That's very surprising from the Fraternal Order of Police. Sounds to me like uh, our ass busted. We better get ahead of this and not try to defend it.
9: Yes, that is surprising. That's a rare comment that I would hear from from um, any police union. That's surprising. All right.
6: Doc, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, where can people find, find out about your organization uh, to get
9: more information? You can go to Black Cops Against Police Brutality, b-cap.org, b-cap.org. And probably by next week, it'll be Dr. davis.com. All right. Thank you, as always. Thank you for the work.
6: Doc, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. All right, take care. Folks, got to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about coronavirus. Chris Rock has a few words to say. Also, remember the white man in Minneapolis who accosted those brothers who were working out? (laughs) He needs a new place for his company. I'll give you all of that and more next on Roller Mark Unfiltered. Folks, we are unapologetic in supporting black businesses and the folks at Seek.com have a couple of great products. They, First off, they have, this is their virtual reality headset. Uh, Mary Spiel is a sister. She's from Ghana who created this. She is, of course, the inventor. And so what happens is you take your phone uh, and if you want to be able to watch, this, there, there are like 360 degree videos on YouTube or even on their site, Seek.com. And so what happens is you just simply slide this right into the tray and then close this up and then you're able to put this in and see the content in 360 degrees of whatever ever shot Let's say the camera was here; you can literally see all of this here, and then you see it was all behind me and around me. It's a really, really uh, great video. Uh, we're actually working on one right now, so y'all can actually see the whole studio here. We have the Roland Martin unfiltered uh, in the disc, so uh, you can go to Seek.com for the head virtual reality headset. But they also have these really cool 4D 360-degree sound headphones. And so, what's great about these is that first off, uh, the sound is unbelievable, and the sound literally. Goes all around uh, the head. Gamers really love this as well. Uh, So they have a detachable microphone that you can use for gamers, which is great. They're Bluetooth, plus they're also wired. Uh, And again, uh, a sister, she's actually the creator of these. She's an innovator. And so uh, here's the website. Pull the graphic, please. Seek.com, C-E-E-K.com. Come on, pull it up, please. And we have a a code for y'all that y'all can use. uh, And that is a a code. So when you go to buy these products, okay, I don't understand why we don't have the graphic, folks. Okay? Here's the deal. Pull the graphic up. Uh, use RMVIP2020. RMVIP2020. Uh, use that code uh, to be able to get these headphones and to get uh, this as well. And so y'all should have been showing the photos as well of the headphones. And so, uh, so I don't understand that. So again, go to seek.com, dot com. And so support Black-owned businesses. All right, folks, as of today, there are 1.6 million cases of COVID-19 in the U.S., 19,680 of those cases are new. Uh, More than 100,000 folks have died from the virus, 1,400 in New York. Uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been a very consistent voice, keeping New York up to date. Today, he brought out a couple of folks uh, to share their thoughts, including Chris Rock was one of those folks who spoke at today's news conference.
3: You, I watch you every single day, and you, you bring me calm, you know, you bring me joy. Didn't Aretha, Anita Baker saying that? You bring me joy every single day because I don't know what's going on. I thought I lived in the United States. I thought I lived in a country and now I realize there we have 50 countries, essentially. <laughs> right now we're in the country of New York. Um uh, I, you know, I want to say I, I got the test today. I just got tested to come out here. Uh, I got a sixty-five, so just, just passed, just, just passed. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, we haven't been able to perform or do any shows or anything. I'm just, so, I'm looking at this microphone. Yeah. I I'm like, yeah. Wow. I just wanna, good. Can I just say hi, microphone? I really missed you. I know it's been hard, but we're going to get back together at some point And it's going to be even better than the last time, microphone. I will never take you for granted. Uh, we need, people need to get tested and people need to, to make it a festive occasion. They need to posse up and get tested. Like, all the crew is getting tested. And the family should get tested. And, you know, if you love your grandmother, if you love your your, your elderly mother, your elderly anybody, you should get tested. This is... And it's not just, you know... It's wherever... There are poor people, really. It's wherever people are congested. So, yes, it's in East New York. Yes, it's in Brownsville. But, you know, it's also in Garrison Beach. It's also in Marine Park. It's also... You know, so everybody that can get tested should get tested as soon as possible. And I'm just so you know, governor called me up and I'm here to do whatever is required. And you know, I I hope to God that when this is over you're still a part of the government. I don't I don't I hope this isn't the last it's like, oh it's over. No, I hope this keeps going on. Uh, And so,
6: again, that's Chris Rock there uh, speaking out on this very issue. All right, folks. Minneapolis Star Tribune reports that managing partner of the F2 Group, Tom Austin, lost his lease in a venture capitalist office building after an Instagram video showing him threatening to call the police on black men who refused to answer his questions about where their office was. Austin's lease was terminated over the incident, and he has since offered an apology saying via email he should have handled it differently. Uh Uh-huh. See, here's what I keep saying, Greg. Every time one of these white folks lose lose their job, lose their office, black folks should apply for the job. <laughs> but every every single time, the woman at Fidelity Temple, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Franklin Templeton, okay, the VP, she have a job. They should be flooded with applications from black people saying, uh, "I want that job." Uh, so I, I, every time, y'all, y'all want to act the fool, going right ahead. We are gonna talk about you every time.
9: No, no question. And the video is very interesting because, of course, this is the same Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, where you see what's going on there. You know, white racism is very interesting. Um, it also it often comes wrapped in white liberalism. So mm-hmm. this person, just like Cooper in New York, could have been a, mm-hmm. a supporter of Barack Obama, voted twice. I mean, he tried to be, But when you see blackness in a way that you think you can police it, everybody white in the country is a potential cop understanding that's when the when the abolitionists are talking about abolishing policing they're not saying get rid of police forces what they're saying is get rid of a system where Every white person in the country is the police, meaning what? They got a right to stop you. They have a right to ask you why you're there. And if you respond in a way they don't like, they have a right then to call the force in because policing in this country means the use of force to establish order. And that's what that white man was doing. But unfortunately, he's living in a country where that's not going to work much longer. And with all due respect to our brother, Chris Rock, you know, this is why you don't have entertainers engage in public briefings, because, Sorry. you know, you bring me joy. That's a little over the top, brother, because any given day that cat you talking to can exert order over you. You've got to be a little less conciliatory, because that's what gives white liberals the idea that they can talk to you any kind of way. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen, Dr. Carr.
14: And on that note, in the piece um, around uh, Tom Austin, uh, he mentioned that he would have said the same thing had it been a bunch of women when he was talking about the way that he responded to those black men. And I thought to myself, fool, you wouldn't have said that to a black woman. You wouldn't have ran up (laughs) and said that on a black woman. Um, And just thinking about how really this is, when I think about what Dr. Carr was talking about, this whole kind of like white people feeling as though or in really exercising um, the freedom to be able to police black bodies. I just really think about when the same white people went outside and they didn't what? have masks because guess who COVID was supposed to just um, impact solely or just um, the most black and brown folks. So, oh, well, well, as long as it's those folks, then I can go out and I can do whatever the hell I want to. I don't have to wear a mask. I can go and engage in activities because it's not my issue. It's their issue. Um, I'm also thinking about how white people have these communities that they plan and they build and they build them in such a way where only the people who are exclusive in that neighborhood can live in those neighborhoods. But these are the same people that are coming to your communities and gentrify them. So absolutely, white people being deputized to say, listen, this is where we will live. You can't come here unless you're coming here to work and as if we allow you to work or to deliver packages. And we've seen what that response has been like here of late, um, that it is until that black people really stand in our power to let them know that the very wealth that they're sitting on is the wealth that we and our ancestors built because we were the first assets on the dockets. We'll see more of these flagrant and arrogant attitudes by white people who call themselves allies, liberals, progressive, whatever Mm -hmm. they want to hold themselves in. Um, We'll continue to see more of that and not be surprised by who you see.
0: Absolutely. I mean, everybody likes to share this quote about the white moderate, and I'd be telling people uh, these white liberals ain't shit either. I mean, they just as bad sometimes in terms of their self-deputizing and their policing and you don't belong here. That's what Tom Austin was saying to these gentlemen in that video. And this wasn't even a residence. This was a work um, building. And so the notion that he... You know, for, knows that these people don't belong somewhere that they had been leasing for over a year is ridiculous. And I'm also happy that they recorded the situation. I saw some people, you know, being all upset, why do you have to in- record every encounter because somebody is having a negative encounter? Because when Tom Austin first responded to this incident, he said, well, they were threatening me. And that's why he was calling the police or trying to call security. That never happened. He completely fabricated that. And so that's why we need a record of our interactions with these so-called deputies, these slave patrol people, who believe that they are overseers. So it's now he's had a change of heart because I guess he's gotten more flack. But at the end of the day, if you are threatened, walk the hell away. That's what I do. If I feel threatened, you know, black people, if we see somebody running, we run. (laughs) Y'all need to learn how to channel some of that energy. If you threaten, (laughs) then turn the hell around and walk out, okay? Don't engage with people. Don't walk up to them. Don't put your phone in your face. Don't threaten them. Walk away. It's just that simple.
6: (laughs) Well, speaking Mm -hmm. of walking away, the folks of the Lincoln Project, some Republicans uh, who cannot stand Donald Trump, they want him to walk away. Here's one of the videos they dropped.
3: We have some people that claim to be Republicans, and they've gone crazy. Weaver and Schmidt, all losers. Still talking about us?
14: It's been a week now, and you're obsessed. You've tweeted about us over and over. You've called us names, got your allies to censor our ad, and we're still there, living in your head. Maybe instead of focusing on us, you should do your job. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.
6: Of course, Donald Trump is really upset because Twitter also has fact-checked him. And then, guess who steps out there and he was whining, complaining about it? Oh, Mark Zuckerberg. Of course, he went on Fox News, of course. To say that uh, that they're not going to be in the business of, um, frankly, fact-checking the president because that's really not what their job is. And today, of course, Trump signs this so-called executive order, which really has no power whatsoever, limiting the legal the legal liabilities of of these social media companies. But here's the problem, uh, Greg. Uh, he's not actually opened the door for him to get sued. And so it's really interesting. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, did not waste any time talking about Mark Zuckerberg. This is what she said.
2: But that's it, an outrageous situation. Uh, while Twitter is putting up their fact check under what the president says about voting, they still won't take off the misrepresentations the president is putting out there by the death of, 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 of a gentleman whose wife died and he's asking them to take down the president's misrepresentations. So it's, yes, we'd like uh, a Twitter to put up their fact check the president, but it's, it seems to be very selective, very selective. And of course you—
6: Nancy Pelosi there, uh, and I, I, what, what's amazing to me um, is—it's uh, amazing to me to listen to, again, uh, this whining if will of Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Greg, he is allowing Trump to lie. This is what he said to Dana Perino uh, last night. Check this out.
2: Time ever to fact check one of President Trump's tweets. They decided to do it on a mail in voting tweet. And I wondered what you thought about that decision because the last time we spoke, you had just announced your policy of not weighing in on political speech. And I wondered if you thought that the Twitter may have made the wrong decision here.
5: Yeah, that's right, Dana. I, I, we have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. You know, I, I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. Um, and we've been pretty clear on, on our policy um, that we think that um, it wouldn't be right for us to uh, to do fact checks for politicians um, and that, you know, people should be able to hear what politicians say. There's plenty of scrutiny already about politicians' speech. Um, that's what a lot of the media does. Um, so we think that, that's, that, that that handles that quite well. Um, and, yeah, I, I think overall, um, you know, I think it's, it's good for, for different companies to have different policies on this stuff. But um, at Facebook, we've tried to distinguish ourselves as being um, really strong in favor of giving people a voice and free expression. Um, and I certainly think our policies um, have distinguished us from some of the other tech companies in terms of being mm-hmm. um, stronger on free expression and giving people a voice than a lot of others out there. Great utter bullshit.
9: Well, you know, I, I, I see and respect Zuckerberg's position. I'll tell you why. Mark Zuckerberg's a capitalist. This is why I don't buy that Lincoln Republican bullshit, because the the GOP and the Democrats too, but, but the GOP very specifically is the party of these corporate, quote unquote, titans and finance capital. We can't lose sight of the systems that are teetering at this moment. Mark Zuckerberg, with his Facebook empire, and I don't have a Facebook account, and what you just showed is a reason why, one of the reasons why, is trying to preserve his market share. Just as we see Jeff Bezos has made a lot of money over this pandemic, just as we see that Apple's market share is going up as well. What he's trying to do, by quote unquote remaining neutral, is continue to attract people to his platform. Now why is that important in this context? And how does that tie to to the commercial you just saw with the Lincoln Republicans? Donald Trump is bad for business, to be sure, so the so the GOP wants him out of the paint. But don't mistake that with the fact that the GOP's uh, strategy and their agenda is driven by the Zuckerbergs of the world. Understand that when the states reopen, that means they can throw some of these 30 million people off of unemployment benefits. Understand that when we're talking about Wisconsin's uh, uh, infection uh, number going up now as a result of these—what uh, what their court did, we're talking about a country where capital is driving health care decisions while you're risking your life and the staff there at World of Martin and Filter while Reese and Eric and I are sheltered in place so much so that my nephew Ellington Haskell Fuller is graduating hometown of Houston this weekend and I can't go because I got a pre-existing condition at 55 years old and the, the French just reported this week that 10% of the people with diabetes as an underlying condition died within the week if they had COVID-19. Zuckerberg is saying, I don't give a damn about none of that. I want my money. And the GOP is saying, we want you to get your money. So if we got to get Trump out of the paint and pretend like we're against him, we will. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this system is teetering. And Mark Zuckerberg is scared now. You can delete your Facebook account. You can stop playing the game they want to play. But understand at the end of the day that they are not acting in your best interest. They're only acting in their best interest. Bottom line,
6: bye line here, Reese. Mark Zuckerberg has financially benefited from the millions the Trump campaign has poured into Facebook, and they don't want to challenge their lies. What he's basically saying is, oh, no, 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 no. We know it's a lie. We know they're blatantly lying, but we're not going to correct the lie. We're going to allow the dissemination of lies.
0: Absolutely. Trump is, by the numbers, Facebook's number one um, ad spender in terms of political campaigns. The Democrats in particular have shied away from big spending on these, on Facebook and other social media platforms. And so Trump is where their bread is butter. And you, you know, if you have the revenues, then you have the stock prices that you keep the stockholders happy and things like that. And so, as Dr. Carr said, this is all about money. It's not about the truth. And Facebook doesn't give a damn. Now, I would, though, like to see Auntie Maxine, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, haul Mark Zuckerberg into Congress again and grill him like she did the last time, because he was definitely not as confident in front of her as he was in front of... Mm Erica? Erica?
14: Yeah, I agree with Reese. And let's not forget as well Mark Zuckerberg has uh, visited with uh, Donald John Trump uh, on several times, had dinners as well. And it is, I mean, bottom line, what Dr. Carr and what Reese said, this is all about a money grab. And when you do think about some of the fact checking that they have had around specific news pieces, um, looking at the folks that are doing that, they're right wing media organizations, so to speak, like Breitbart. So um, just considering exactly what this is. It's a money grab. And I would just say to people who um, do have Facebook and Instagram um, pages as well, because that is a sister company, to just say,
9: whoa. Uh, Roland, can I ask you a quick question? Uh, Erica just reminded me of something. Wasn't it about a year ago that you covered right here at Roland Martin Unfiltered, Facebook taking Farrakhan off? Mm. Yeah. What? So so how are they deciding between the Nation of Islam, and, I mean, help, help me understand that, brother.
6: <laughs> yeah, that shows you again. So this whole idea, well, no, we don't want to do this here. Yeah. We're not regulating the speech, but you are regulating speech. Yeah. But see, people, here's the difference. Nation of Islam wasn't dropping millions upon millions in ad dollars on Facebook.
9: That's right. Mm-hmm. Just this, like Reese just told us, that's this, right.
6: It's a money thing. It's a money thing. That's all it is. And that's what Zuckerberg is focused on. Uh, but again, but I will, I will credit uh, uh, Jack uh, Dorsey of Twitter. Uh, he did fire back at his uh, fellow tech billionaire CEO uh, in, responding, uh, in responding to what he had to say. Uh, let me find the tweet. I thought it was uh, quite interesting uh, where he said, um, let's see, fact check. There is someone ultimately accountable for our actions as a company, and that's me. Please leave our employees out of this. We'll continue Mm. to point out incorrect or disputed information about elections globally, and we will admit to and own any mistakes we make. What he was saying is, you a punk ass for passing the buck, Mark. I'm a real leader. It's on me.
10: It's also a
0: low bar because, I mean, he's still (laughs) profiting from Trump's Twitter account. He's still profiting from the engagement of Trump's Twitter account. So, I mean, yeah, he's slightly more of a leader than Mark Zuckerberg, but that's not saying much.
14: It is, especially, Reese, when you think about who all of these social platforms are owned by they're owned by mediocre white men. And so I think it kind of goes back to a point that you've been making for quite some time rolling about, um, having um, our own platform Specifically, your platform, and then talking about those verses that we've been seeing that have been kind of giving us some black joy here lately, and talking about the real how important it really is that we take those eyes and we capture those dollars, though those platforms are free. Um, Be clear that Instagram and all of the like are making money off of that. This is the importance of us having and building our own.
6: Speaking of building our own, I I I want I I I wasn't gonna do this, but I just decided about 20 seconds ago to do this here. You you know, what's really interesting to me is when I look at some of these people who got lots of stuff to say about black folks. And I'm talking about uh, these crazy conservatives like Candace and Brandon Tatum. So Brandon Tatum, Again, let me be real clear, y'all. There are a lot of black conservatives we've had on this show. There are black conservatives who we know, we're friends with, we might disagree on issues. There are black liberals who I disagree with on a lot of issues. For mm-hmm. me, it ain't liberal versus conservative. It's my position on various issues. But um, Brandon Tatum, he goes by Officer Tatum. He's always running his mouth, how he's a former cop and run his mouth. So three days ago, he tweeted this. People are so ignorant, it's mind-blowing. Ahmad Case, Breonna Taylor, no-knock warrants. I will debate any one of y'all live on IG or YT, Instagram, YouTube. If you bad, then respond to this post. We can do it live. Tell your prepaid legal lawyers to debate me if you too afraid I've had enough. That was sent three days ago. I responded. (laughs) I said, Brandon, pick a day this week you wanna come on Roland Martin unfiltered. Mm -hmm. Pick a day. We be right here. I I sent the email info at RolandSMartin.com. Has Lil Tink Tink responded? No. He hasn't responded. Um, Then, again, running his mouth, y'all. Smack, I mean, bumping them gums. Talking trash, but not wanting to debate on this issue. Mm -hmm. Now, see, I said, come on Wednesday. I got Scott Bolden. And Robert Patillo, I'm like too, more than happy to discuss the issues with you. Y'all, he ain't responded. See, I told y'all, little Candace Owens, her little ass been running from me for two years. I told y'all that. (laughs) I told y'all her little boy, Charlie Kirk, he been running too. Uh, In fact, when I ran to him outside of the White House, he actually said, well, I need to ask Candace. I said, hold up. I thought she worked for you. Mm-hmm. You got to go ask mm-hmm. her. I told y'all when they had their little, little, uh, little black conservative uh, little gathering in D.C., we got approved for credentials. And then all of a sudden, uh, we were our credentials were taken. Uh, they didn't want that heat. W- why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this, y'all, is because if you're going to jump your ass on Twitter and you get all puffed up, and, sa- and said anybody. But now you're scared. You know what we call that? Selling wolf tickets. Okay. We call that being a punk ass. <laughs> or, if I want to go new school, pure bitch assness. <laughs> right. See, you not gonna sit here and challenge black people mm. and say if any of y'all want to debate, Come on, mm-hmm. but why are you scared? Why What? Why, why, why are you afraid? Why? Why is it that Brandon, since you talking all big and bad, you you, you afraid to come to the black space? <laughs> and then I, I love this one, y'all. He, he was, in fact, he was answering some little questions on 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 <laughs> on his little YouTube channel. And y'all, go ahead and take it. Listen to this.
15: If you were in a Gregory Floyd's situation, if the officers refused to get up from your neck, how would you react towards the cops? Um, I think I wouldn't be committing crimes in the first place, but let's get past that. Once I'm... I wouldn't fight the cops either, so let's get past that. Once I'm on the ground, I, I, I think I would be being submissive. I wouldn't be... I would be like, I'm done. I, 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 I'm, I'm,
6: See, he was talking a little, a little nonsense... Let me go ahead and see if I can advance and Y'all might want to hear this here. I got to play this here, y'all. I'll play my final video. Y'all go ahead and pick it up. I just want y'all to have a little laugh. If, you feel
15: like if that would have saved his life, that would have been a, a been a chance that you should have took. That guy, Brooke, it should have been a chance that you should have took if you thought it would save his life, you know? Because then people don't have to sit back and, and say, what if I would have done something? You don't have to do that. If you feel like you're going to save a man's life, then take the chance of getting shot. And I think, I think if, if the man really was dying, I think you'd be a hero. Not videotaping. Uh, what's your thoughts on Roland? Is Martin. Roland Martin is a dummy. I, I, this is the question that I answered. In my personal opinion, I think Roland Martin is an idiot. I would go and have no real discussion. He bring on people that hate me and Candace Owens all the time just so he can prove his point. Uh, let's see. Uh, Crow food. Thanks so much for another Super Chat. Just remember.
6: Now, y'all, that's, that's, that, that's what he had to say. Well, let me go ahead and i think i found other little little comment he made i just want to play it for y'all go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead
15: and then y'all gonna be the wow LS. jason thanks so much for the super chat do you think the cops really wanted to kill this guy i think i read that already sorry about that uh what's your thoughts on roland martin somebody just asked me that hold on let me see if i can get that on the screen i'll get to you in a second uh somebody said what's your thoughts on roland martin before i get to this super chat I think Roland Martin is a is a is a political pun. Like I think he just hates black people. He hates conservative. I mean not black people. He bla- he hate black conservatives. He hate conservatives. He hate Donald Trump. He's a diehard Democrat. He would be disingenuous it, even if it, even if his mama was telling him he wrong. He'll be disingenuous to push his agenda. That man is a slime bag in my opinion. I don't I don't like Roland Martin. I think he's a slime bag. Anyway. It was hard to watch the video i wanted to do something but brandon
6: see if you're gonna talk trash bring-
3: mm-hmm.
9: can I
6: ask see i i, I, I ain't afraid, afraid
9: of none of y'all can i, I ask I, you questions i don't know how this platform works and, and i don't listen go ahead go one. ahead let me ask you every question i saw there to something Reecey said a minute ago with regard to Zuckerberg. There was a name and then there was a dollar amount. Do you have to pay to ask him a question? No,
6: so what happens is on YouTube, you can actually give uh, right there on YouTube uh, if if you wanna actually support that particular channel. And so some folks do, that's how they do it.
9: When you invite him or Candace on, would he make any money from it? No. Well, then that's the answer, and that's, that's, that's it, cause they're grifters. Mm-hmm. They're grifters. See, about. see, see.
6: My deal is, if you gonna put a, send a tweet out saying, uh, "I'll debate any one of y'all live," right? Come on. See, here's the deal. Fox News don't call me. I ain't scared of none of them. Mm-hmm. Y'all, I got my own equipment at the crib. They can dial right in. I debate any of them, Tucker. Laura, Martha, Shannon, Lou, Varney, any of them. Pick a day. See, I ain't afraid to debate nobody. I ain't scared of nobody. Mm. But what you're dealing with, you're dealing with weak people. They're yeah. grifters. Brandon, mm. grifter. Cause see, I love this. He don't like cons- black conservatives. Really? Chris Metzler, Angela Saylor, Elroy Saylor, K. Cole sure, James. Michael Singleton, Eugene Craig, like I said, Chris Metzler, uh, you got J.C. Watts, Michael Steele, Cheryl LeBon, Bob Brown, who I did a whole hour sit down with on his book, David Stewart. I can run. Oh, I'm sorry. Those are real black conservatives. Mm-hmm. My boy, Michael Williams, we went to the Million Man March together. Mm-hmm. I slept at his house. That man, a fourth generation black conservative. But see, they real black conservatives. Not you frauds like you are Brandon and Candace. We know the Grifton game. We know <laughs> Jesse Lee Peterson and Larry Elder. Y'all ain't nothing but two, them 2.0. We know the game. So if you're going to sit here and talk trash and in terms of, and I was trying to figure out what y'all sound like by throwing a gauntlet down, then you get scared. You know what? This scene reminded me of Brandon and Candace trying to challenge Uncle Roro.
10: Y'all check it Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry. That's just my game.
3: All
13: right, Lunger, you go to hell.
10: I'll put you out of your misery. Say wham. Right there, right
9: there. Johnny, don't! No, he's not. Get off! Ah, get off! It ain't
6: done. Don't mind him. He just drunk, that's all.
13: <laughs>
3: Two cool down, Johnny. No! I
7: want them spit blood. Easy, son. Easy. How ain't the time? Slow down, Ringo. I tell you, boys, even I'm worried what's going to happen once Ringo runs this outfit. God, have mercy. Come <laughs> ah, on,
6: Brandon,
9: I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> but he's not scared of you, Roland. Right. I mean, but this is when, when he answers the question and I would leave this to my uh, brothers in psychology like Wade Nobles and some of these cats. When when he was asked what he would have done if the knee had been on his neck, his answer was, I would have submitted. And then the thing that came after that said, if someone, if you feel like you can save that man's life, you should have come over because you would have been a hero. And then he said, Roland hates black people. No, 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 black conservatives. He wasn't talking about any of the people you named. He's talking about Candace and himself and the Grifters. Let's put all three of those things together. I'm scared of white people. I need and want their favor. If they're going to take my life, I will give it up to them rather than resist. I would like to believe that one of you who loves black people will come and save my life. You would be a hero. Roland doesn't like black people who would just submit and even give their life. He'd prefer to be with those people who might come and save my life, the heroic people. But that doesn't include me and Candace because Roland doesn't like us. There it is, bro. Amen. All I'm and,
14: saying. Oh, just oh, to I, remember that this is the same guy that when you showed a picture of um, on last week, that he was the same guy that had on a schmedium shirt um, and mm-hmm. plastered on that schmedium shirt was a picture of his master. Um, I know that, mm. that that's a term that they always like to use talking about get off the plantation. Well, baby, you lead because you had a picture of your master plastered on that shmedium shirt and that painted on beard.
6: All I'm saying is, <laughs> all I'm saying, Recy, if you gon' challenge folk publicly, don't punk out when they respond.
0: Perry, you know I'm about that life because I challenged Killer Mike uh, to a debate on Kamala Harris and you offered to host it and he never responded. So yeah, a lot of people feel comfortable preaching to the choir, preaching to their grifter, their their grifting clients. But when it comes to having an actual uh, substantive conversation, they know they can't hack it. We saw that he couldn't even hack it with his own folk. He was the one who got all rah-rah and, you know, nigga this and this, on the other. And, you know... um, Threatening violence upon people. And so he knows he is absolutely not cut out to come on this show and go up against you because you actually know about black conservatism. And all he knows about is grifting. And I won't say the other word I have in mind.
6: All I'm saying, all I'm saying is, because ain't nobody scared of you, little boy. Nobody. (laughs) Because you're dealing with a grown ass man here. Y'all know what time it
9: is. (laughs) Crazy.
14: I got you, Carl. Uh, yeah, um, illegally selling water without a permit on my property. Whoa! Hey, you you don't
6: live here. I'm uncomfortable. Well, Karen got hungry for hamburgers, and y'all, the line wasn't moving fast enough for Karen. And this is how Hamburger Karen responded.
1: Just, it's
9: It's
6: just So you used the N-word. Then I didn't use the N-word. I'm sorry for using the N-word. I
9: can't help myself sometimes. You know what, Roland? That reminds me. Uh, been reading, rereading Stokely Carmichael, Fama Therese's book, Ready for Revolution. Yep. I love this brother in life and I love him in death. It reminds me, women when they were on the Meredith March Against Fear and they were getting ready to drop the call for uh, black power with the in them. And, and and Carmichael is standing next to Martin Luther King and he said, You tell the Mississippi police that they that all the scared N-words are dead. They done shot all the rabbits. (laughs) They're going to deal with some men. And Dr. (laughs) King keeps rubbing his head like, oh, God, oh, God. And then they drop the call for black power. I'm imagining, what if we had been in my hometown of Nashville or Georgia, Houston, or down there where Erica's from in Georgia, and they sitting at a counter, and somebody had used the N-word, and instead of just getting milk poured over their head or something, they turned around and said, what? And started a brawl. What we just saw there, like Kwame Ture said, all the scared black people are dead. So guess what? Uh, I didn't say that. Why? Because when you saw that door crack open, right. you think <laughs> Right. Business. Y'all going to that ass <laughs> whipped in this
6: 2020 America. Hashtag team whip that ass about to show up, Erica.
14: Oh, yeah. Period. Because let me tell you something. My first was by a mediocre white boy that thought he had the liberty because we had just moved to that particular city um, to call me a nigger. And I Hmm. absolutely showed him. I watched his face turn red when I punched him in the gut and him go down slowly and sit there in pain and call for the teacher. I watched that. And let me tell you something, the only thing my father had is question for me was, did you beat him? So this (laughs) is where we are. This is the crop of people. And I want to say that those same people that were arguing to say that um, this is not your grandfather's, your grandmother's, I had these hands, they had hands too, but be very clear, we have hands, and we Mm -hmm. will give them to you. Amy, Carrie, Tom, Beckett, whoever it is, we will give them to you. Try it if you want to.
8: Race it.
0: You know, the energy switches when you get out the car, because I've had one of these crazy-ass white people honking at me in D.C., I mean, laying on the horn, and I got out that car, and let me tell (gasps) you, she almost (laughs) pissed herself. She drove (laughs) off so fast, but I, 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 I was about to beat her ass in DC because I was like you don't even have to get to the n word. The fact that you're sitting up there honking at us and we had a red light is enough. And I know I know people going to talk mess that's ghetto whatever. That's fine. I'm a, uh, sometimes it has to be that way. You know sometimes you have to take a little risk when people are out of pocket. So she definitely got off easy because the honking alone would have got me out the car.
6: All I'm all I was all I'm saying is whether you honk your horn or you beat your or you thump your chest on Twitter Brandon don't ask, don't ask for an ass whooping, because you might get it. <laughs> oh. All right, y'all. Shout out to our uh, folks who've given 50 bucks or more. during our Brenda Funk Fan Club. Let's go to them. Akila Joyce Keita, Alan Dunkley, Andre Smith. Anthony Johnson, Anthony Penix, uh Atheline King, Beverly Hamilton, Bingsley, Hannah, Carla Johnson, Karma Hullaby, Casey Pitts, Kathy Stokes, Sharmel Moore, Christopher Brown, Clarence Albert Jr., Client KLCRP, Cynthia Callaway, Darlene Letzinger, Darren Deckard, uh, Deltrice Graham, Dwayne Atkinson, Earl Pearson Jr., Elsie Renee Davis, Frank Johnson, George Brown, Herman Johnson, Howard, Jewel Morrow, Johnny Brownlee, Josie, Kelly Joseph Brooks, Kevin Davis, Kevin Mason, Larry Harmon, Loretta Harmon, Lisa Baptiste, Love to Praise Ministries, Marie DeLone Money, uh, M- M- Messekai Whitaker Freeman, MTF XS8, Noella Boma, w- Onceimus Transportation, Philip Lacey Third, Rita Harrell, Robin Brown, Ronald Coakley, Ruth Brown, Cheryl Dugan, Sherman Henderson, Sherry A. Cephas Brown, Stephen Woodford, Swain Consulting LLC, Tangela Miles, Teresa McPherson, Tracy Lewis, Truman Heath, Veronica Nobles, Walter Crawford, World Class Satanists, what the hell? But we'll deposit your money uh, Yasmin Lawson, Yvonne D. Johnson, also uh, R. Strickland, uh, Virgil Preston Bay. Uh, give it up for M. L. Latson, Pamela Williams. Uh, let's see here: T. Nelson, Julia Daniels, uh, Dexter Brown, uh, as well. And so we want to thank all the people who join our Bring the Funk Fan Club. We're more. Uh, we're probably around 6,500, maybe even 7,000. Our goal by the end of the year, folks, is to have 20,000 of our followers who join our Bring the Funk Fan Club. What we're asking: 50 bucks or more, if you want to, uh, that comes out to be about four dollars and nineteen cents a day. Thirteen, excuse me, four dollars and nineteen cents a month. Thirteen cents a day uh, to join our Bring the Fuck Fan Club. Bring it up, please. Cash App, dollar sign R M E forward slash E forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo, Venmo.com forward slash R M Unfiltered. Or you can send a cashier's check, folks, or money order to New Vision Media Inc., 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C. 620006. Uh, great. Pounds today, uh, Greg, Erica, uh, as well as Reese. Uh, I think people hopefully they learned a whole lot. Y'all, the pound's still there. Did y'all get rid of them? So, there you go. Still there. Uh, we appreciate it, folks. Again, great conversation. And uh, we, of course, we hit more. Than yesterday, we actually hit our highs. We broke 8,000 folks who are watching live on YouTube, uh, more than 3,100. Last month, we did 11 million views on YouTube alone. And so, folks, we want you to do this here. We are just 5,000 away from having 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. So, folks, do me a favor. If you do not subscribe to our YouTube channel, Go to YouTube, click subscribe, and also turn your notifications on. So wherever we go live, uh, then you'll get notified when we go live. Nobody else is doing this show. It's a whole bunch of people out there smacking their gums once or twice a week. We're putting on a real show, real guests, real analysis every single day because we are not going to let somebody else control our narrative. And look, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all of them. Y'all can hire all the black folks y'all want to, but here's the deal. Can't none of y'all out black me when it comes to black news.
4: <laughs> That's
6: right. That's all there I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Because if you got guts, you'll wear I Can't Breathe shirt on TV. All right. I'm going to see y'all tomorrow. Rolling my unfiltered. Pound, thanks a bunch. I got to go. How?